Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's sermon podcast. As we approach God's Word, let's take a prayerful breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Listen to God's Word this day. Good morning. My name is Kim Sakati. I'm currently an elder serving on session. Please join me for our unison prayer for illumination. Oh God, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we need to do to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning's first scripture reading is from the second, 62nd Psalm, verses 5 through 11. Let us listen to God's word. For God alone, my soul awaits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence and extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. It's good to be back again with you. I I guess it was uh, four years ago since I was last here. Um, For those of you who are uh, newer to the VIP family and um, to FPCA, my husband is the pastor at Allentown Presbyterian Church in Allentown, New Jersey. Not to be confused with Allentown, PA. And so my husband sent these along with me. Uh, We often get mail for your church and he made sure to keep the checks, but he told me to give these to Carter. Um, In 2015, uh, my husband and I sensed a call from God to take a one-year unpaid leave and go and serve with our children in Malawi, Africa, a country ranked among the five poorest countries in the world. And um, as you can see, not everybody in the family was excited about going. (laughs) But since then, I have traveled back and forth to Malawi many, many times, including trips with some of your own church members. Malawi's culture and way of life is vastly different from ours, from little ways to huge ways. In Malawi, there's no such thing as political correctness. They tell me like it is. They tell me all white people look alike. (laughs) 
I still haven't gotten used to their forms of compliments. When they haven't seen me in a while, they say, oh my, you look so fat, fat, fat. <laughs> and in Malawi, that's a compliment because it means that you have food in your house. So when they say that to me, I try to keep smiling and say, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Over the years, I've come to know people with names like Triza, Benongwe, Chifundo, Jonathan, Sydney. Sydney is an orphan. His mother died when he was nine years old. He lived near his aunt, but his aunt was too overwhelmed with her own children and poverty to care for Sydney. And so Sydney became responsible for the care of his younger sibling, for bringing in water to his house, for growing the food and harvesting what they would eat at nine years old. This is what we call a child-headed household, a term that we don't have in the United States. Triza, another teenage orphan being raised by her 80-year-old grandmother. Her grandmother just died last December, and I don't know who's gonna care for her now. These are beautiful children whose lives are so different from ours. But because we've met them, because we've come to know them, they have gone from being strangers to neighbors, from being statistics to people. I travel to Malawi two to three times a year, spending months over there each year, and this allows me a consistent presence on the Jericho Road. One of Jesus' most famous parables takes place on the Jericho Road. The impact that this parable has had on my life is considerable. The parable is prompted by two deep and probing questions that we continue to ask today. What's the meaning of life? And how am I to think about others? So let's listen to what happens on the road to Jericho. This is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho's fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, took, him, took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. I love the preamble of this parable because there is a great question asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This word eternal life can be confusing because there is no exact translation from the Greek to the English. When we hear the word, the phrase eternal life, we tend to think of the afterlife. But in the actual Greek, the word zoe means living life to the fullest. And so he, this lawyer is asking Jesus, what is the meaning of life? What must I do to live life to the fullest? Now, that's a great question. We should all be sitting on the edge of our seats, leaning in, what is Jesus going to say? However, when the lawyer asks Jesus this question, Jesus throws it back to the lawyer because lawyers at that time were experts in the Jewish law, in the Torah, in the scriptures, in the Levitical law. And so Jesus throws the question back to the lawyer and indeed the lawyer quotes two different passages. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor. The lawyer confidently spouts out the right answer, but Jesus recognizes that something is missing from his response, and he exposes it in two small words. Do this. Do this, and you will have Zoe. Do this, and you will live life to the fullest. Jesus sees that the lawyer intellectually knows the right answer, but he doesn't know it in his heart. It's like when I know I need to forgive somebody. I know it up here, but sometimes I don't know it down here yet. That's where the lawyer is. He knows the right answer, but he's not living it. And so, Jesus tells him, do this and you will live. And the lawyer goes into another great question. Well, who is my neighbor then? How do I apply this to my real life? At this point, 
Jesus could have launched into a long philosophical response, but instead the master tells a simple but profound story. A man is attacked, beaten, robbed, and left for dead by the side of the road. But there is hope. Someone is coming and he is a priest. But the priest is consumed with his own cares. And he walks on, leaving the suffering man to die. But there's hope again. A Levite is coming. But the Levite shows no compassion either. Now the crowd who is listening is loving this because Jesus is poking fun at the elite religious groups for their hypocrisy. They are the people who should be caring for others, and yet they do not. And so the crowd waits for Jesus to introduce the third character. For you see, in Jewish storytelling, it's the third character who is often the hero. It's the third character who breaks with the established pattern set by the first two. So people are leaning in, waiting for Jesus to introduce the hero. Who are they expecting? Maybe Jesus will lift up one of his disciples. Maybe he will lift up an ordinary Israelite like themselves. But Jesus rarely does the expected. Jesus chooses that the hero, as the hero, a most unexpected character, a Samaritan, a despised, unexpected, scorned, looked down upon, mixed race, considered unclean and worthless character. And yet Jesus makes him the hero. And what makes him the hero of the story? Do you see what the Samaritan does? He puts himself at risk. According to Jewish law, touching a half-dead person or a corpse will contaminate him. And yet the Samaritan takes that risk and picks up the wounded man. Then the Samaritan invests in this person. He tends to his wounds, lifts him up on his animal, carries him to the inn, and leaves money for the innkeeper to look after him until he is healed. Often when people learn that I do work in Malawi, they ask, why go to Africa? We have poor right here in our own country. Another very important question. This question gets at the heart of what the lawyer is asking. Who is my neighbor? This perplexing question is a philosophical and immensely practical question which we all should be wrestling with, especially as our communities become more global and we here in America are enjoying more and more privileges. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus gives us a new definition of neighbor. It has nothing to do with proximity or being a relative. It's the one who shows mercy. Being a neighbor is not where we live. 
It has everything to do with how we act. Neighbors help each other. Christ calls us to serve the poor. Here, in our communities, surrounding FPCA, in the greater Allentown area, and yes, all the way in Africa, and specifically in Malawi, because the people there are threatened by a danger on the side of the road that we do not encounter. And this danger is called extreme poverty, a kind of poverty that our country does not know. It is oppressive and kills the weakest and most vulnerable in society, children. If you live in the village and you do not bring in enough harvest, your children starve. If you live in a village that has no clean access to clean water, your children get sick and die from diarrhea. If you live in a remote village where there is no access to health care, your children get malaria, die from malaria, go blind from measles, suffer from brain damage from malnutrition. The people we serve in the remote villages live on less than $1 a day. There's no one to tax in Malawi. So the government doesn't have any money to offer resources to assist the poor. Do you know in 2019, we brought four of our Malawian staff here to the United States and we took them to the Trenton area soup kitchen to serve. And we, when we came out of the kitchen and got into the car, do you know what they said to me? Amai, we didn't see any poor people. That's because poverty looks very different in Malawi. When you hear staggering statistics that Malawi's population is 20 million and of those 1.5 are orphans, or 52% of Malawi's population is under the age of 15, 85% of the population in Malawi are subsistence farmers, meaning they eat what they harvest, and so if they don't harvest enough, they starve. They don't have a government, a social system, organizations, churches who can take care of them. They starve. I want to quote Bono. Who remembers Bono from U2? <laughs> Is he too old, too passe to quote? Not, not with this thought. Bono challenges the church. He says, it's an amazing thing to think that ours is the first generation in history that can really end extreme poverty, the kind that means a child dies for lack of food in its belly. That should be seen as the most incredible historic opportunity, but instead, it becomes a millstone around our neck. We let our own pathetic excuses about how it's difficult justify our own inaction. Be honest, we have the science, the technology, and the wealth, but do we have the will? Do it, and you will have Zoe. I recently heard someone tell me, people love to see change. 
people don't want to change themselves. Do it and you will have Zoe. I want to tell you a story about a child that I came to know and love. He's not a parable. He's real. His name is Heswick. Heswick is an orphan. He is HIV positive from birth. The first time I met him, he and his grandmother received a goat from VIP. They were identified by their community as one of the most vulnerable families in the village and therefore eligible to receive a goat. When I met him, Heswick didn't talk. His grandmother told me that the year before, a kerosene lamp that they used for light in the night had spilled on him and caught him on fire. And since then, he has stopped talking. She pulled up his pants leg to show me the oozing wound that will not heal. It happened that a medical team from the US was coming that week. And so the medics made home visits to Heswick and his grandmother nearly every day. Heswick's wounds were healing well with the daily care from the medical team. However, they pointed out that the scar tissue was restricting his leg movement and he could no longer bend his knee. He needed surgery. The VIP staff contacted Cure Hospital, an orthopedic hospital in Blantyre that treats children for free. And so we took Heswick for surgery, and, um, and he healed nicely. I remember the following year, I came to Malawi and I immediately went to visit Heswick and his grandmother. And Heswick came running down the path, kicking his knees up high to show me he could bend and use his leg, dodging here and there, running back and forth. He was so happy and grateful that he could bend his knee and run with the other kids. Last December, I learned Heswick's grandmother died. Sometimes the weights and burdens these children carry are so heavy. Who will care for Heswick now? When I arrived to Malawi in the spring, Heswick was living all by himself, and he didn't look well. He was dying. Finally, we got him into a home for severely vulnerable children who have no one to care for them. The name of the home is the Good Samaritan. Through villages in partnership, people like Keswick who are suffering on the side of the Jericho Road in Malawi have become accessible to us. People who used to be invisible can now be seen. Little boys and girls who used to be statistics are now our brothers and sisters. So I have a question for us. Are we suffering from the same spiritual dysfunction as the lawyer? Richard Stearns, President Emeritus of World Vision, warns us, one of the sure signs that we Christians 
have been co-opted by our culture is that like frogs in the proverbial kettle, we have grown comfortable with things that should shock us and mobilize us to action. We no longer feel the heat of outrage against the things that anger God. We have so embraced the American dream that we can no longer see or feel the world's nightmare of poverty, suffering, and hopelessness. Heswick is not the only one. Triza, Chifunda, Mpazzo, Jonathan, Sydney. There are over 1.5 million orphans in Malawi, all who have names some of whom I've come to know, some of whom your church has helped. I need to thank your church. I know that you are raising funds so that you can bring clean water to the people of Malawi. Clean water is something that we take for granted, including me. For as many times as I've been to Malawi, I still take turning on the faucet for granted, but the people of Malawi, when a well is put in their village, it changes their lives. And I want to give you a glimpse of the joy and celebration that clean water brings to a community. I am so blessed when I am there and they open a well for a community. The celebration is unreal. And so in closing, I want to challenge you to change ourselves. I want to challenge you to see the stranger as a neighbor, to choose to pick up the wounded and suffering and carry them on your donkeys. I'm here to tell you that there are many more people on the Jericho Road who need your help. There are orphans like Heswick who are lying on the side of the road and we, as followers of Jesus Christ, cannot rest until each one of these children have been picked up, placed on our donkeys, no matter how many trips we have to make to the inn. Now, you might be sitting there thinking of the overwhelming need and sacrifice you are being asked to make but I'm telling you the mystery of God that I have experienced over the past 15 years is that when we serve, when we choose to change ourselves, when we give sacrificially, investing in the lives of others, we become spiritually blessed in abundance. When we invest in one another, and take risks to care for each other, we experience community, hospitality, faith that can only be described as Zoe. The kind that our lawyer friend was seeking. And so as we make these trips to the inn, may the mysterious blessings of God pour down on all of us as we experience Jesus tending to us. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's sermon podcast. We hope you'll join us for worship on Sunday morning. For more information about our congregation and our ministries, please contact the church office. Now go in peace.